What is up, Nerds Nation? Welcome to the FN Nerds Podcast, episode 15. Thank you guys for joining us. My name is Nick Nizio, and standing across from me is my dude, Martin Moreno. What's up, bro? How we doing? Good, good. Trying not to sweat. I, I hear you. <laughs> uh, we got a lot to get into today, but before we get started, if you guys are watching on YouTube, make sure you guys give us a thumbs up and click that subscribe button. And if you're listening on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else, please check back each week as we try to upload new content for you guys to listen to. That intro. That intro. So before we uh, get into the nitty gritty of all this, um, we got to pay some respects. We lost uh, Wilford Brimley uh, this past week. He is a Hollywood actor and commercial star. He passed away at the age of 85. His credits date back to the 70s and include films like The Thing, The Natural, and Cocoon. His appearances on the Quaker Oats commercial and ads for the American Diabetes. Let's say diabetes. (laughs) For the American Diabetes Association, as well as his signature mustache, attracted a much younger fan base born decades after him. Yeah, I mean he's he's just been around for so long, and you know probably became more famous for his uh, his diabetes commercials. Yeah, where it's just like just they're iconic at this point. Memes will keep him alive. Okay, absolutely. Um, and then just in, in terms of like the movies that we mentioned, Cocoon, The Natural, The Thing, you know, obviously The Thing, you know, just Doctor Blair. Yep. Right. Yep. Just yeah. that you know that scene of him just beating the shit out of uh, yeah. all the, the computers <laughs> and stuff with a baseball bat. That because that he was the alien at that point, right? I think so. Right? I, think, I, think, he I think he was infected he was at that point. To, yeah, he was trying to get rid of like, the evidence or yes. trying to like um, avoid any sort of like communication to the outside world. Yep, yep. Yeah, uh, that's kind of. I mean, that's obviously where I kind of know him from as Doctor Blair from the thing. Other than that, like you said, I kind of went back and looked at his body of work, and it's really funny because I feel like um, aside from like the diabetes commercials or mm-hmm. ads or whatever you want to call them. Uh, I feel like the Quaker Oats commercials almost had a, a type of like parody feel to them. Yes. And it, it just, when he was like, get Quaker Oats. And he was like, it was something like, it costs a nickel. If you don't have a nickel, get like a nickel jar. And it reminded me of like Ricky Bobby. Like, I'm Ricky Bobby. If you don't chew Big Red, then f*** you. That's instantly when I went back and I'm just like, this is, this is just, it, it's, but it's fun. It was fun to watch. Yeah. And, um, and just hearing some of the nice things that his, uh, I believe it was his personal assistant said about the great stories that he told. Mm-hmm. And he almost has like a like teddy bear feel vibe to him. Yeah. You, like you just kind of want to hug him. Right. So exactly. To speak. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, yeah, you can tell he was a beloved person, and you know, rest in peace and condolences to his family. Absolutely. And it's it's always funny too because I feel like in Cocoon, like he's playing like he's playing like a senior citizen in Cocoon, but if you look it up, he's only like fifty. So I feel like Wilford Brimley's been like eighty years old for the I've last for the, for the last like thirty years. Because he was in the Natural too, right? Yeah, he was in the Natural yeah, too. Yeah, I remember but, him from the Natural, but I haven't seen Cocoon. But he just always had this appearance that he was always old. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, so it's just like when when he passed away, I was like, oh, he had to have been like like in his nineties, and it was just like, oh, he was only like you know eighty five. Yeah, because even in the thing, in the thing was like what nineteen eighty four. Yeah. Right. Yep. Or uh, eighty two. Fuck. Eighty two. Uh, whatever. You're close. But even in that, he seemed pretty. He seemed mm-hmm. pretty old. So. Yeah. But yes. Yeah. Uh, rest in peace. Rest in peace. All right, man, you ready to uh, do some rapid fire? Uh, yes, I am. All right, we're going to do some rapid fire since a ton of news dropped. So actually, a little bit of fun fact. We were going to shoot this episode much earlier, but then we got hit by a storm and we lost power for like three days. The studio was just shut down and we couldn't do anything. And in that time, so much news dropped. Yeah, we could have done like a completely another episode just right. from the amount of news that dropped. But yeah. yeah, we got a beefy episode like we like to say here at the FNR studio. Oh, yeah. All right. So we're going to kick things off with some movie news. 
Uh, Mission Impossible wants to blow up a bridge in Portland. So director Christopher McQuarrie has reportedly planned to blow up a bridge in Portland for Mission Impossible 7, while the bridge may be four years old and it's decom or no, oh, four years decommissioned. I'm sorry. Um, I believe the bridge is like over 100 years old, but mm -hmm. for four years it's been decommissioned. Um, it is now the center of debate asking whether it should be part of the franchise's large death-defying stunts or whether it should be preserved. So I, I actually, I actually looked this up. I looked this up because uh, usually, uh, even Macquarie says he goes, "I don't like to, you know, poke around when my name is in the newspapers a lot." He goes, "But I had to address this." He's like, "Apparently, they Portland wants wants to redo this bridge." Poland. Poland. I'm sorry. Yeah. Poland. <laughs> Did I say Portland in, in the in the whole thing? Yeah. Oh my God. Why, why didn't you stop me, bro? You were in the zone. I was going to stop you. It's okay. We'll fix it in post. I apologize, Poland. Mm -hmm. If anyone listens in Poland, I apologize. <laughs> um, but yes. So in Poland. Uh, they want to redo this bridge and make it like a touristy attraction. And he doesn't want to blow up the whole bridge. He just wants to do. <laughs> I like, want to blow up the whole bridge. He just wants to blow up a piece of it. But <laughs> apparently, he's like he goes. But with them doing this, it'll help them then get get kickstarted with the whole redoing right. it, remaking it. Wait, you don't buy it? I mean, it's fine. Look, <laughs> Poland, look, uh, Tom Cruise is a crazy fuck. We're sorry, Poland. Uh, he's a wild man. And look, if that's the case, fine. But I think it's just one of those situations. Um, to quote Peter Parker again. It's bigger things happening here than me and you. And we're kind of like in that, I can't, I feel like right now we're in that sort of day and age of, of that pretty mm -hmm. much. So take a step back, listen to what the people are saying. We obviously have no idea what's going on. Yeah. We can't speak on behalf of that community. We have no idea what sort of sentimental value the bridge holds. We have no idea what landmark or preservation value holds. Yeah. So just take a step back, listen to what the people are saying and just go about it the smart way. And if, and if Macquarie's saying that's the smart way to go about it, yeah. Then yeah, I guess I'll trust him. I'll, I'll right. believe what he's saying because I don't think McCordy is that type of guy. No. So if that's the case, then sure. What's the point of having a hundred year old bridge if you can't walk on it? <laughs> I mean, if you if it's a hundred years old and you set off one piece of bomb or diamond or whatever in the small, <laughs> it's, it's going to disintegrate. Like, that's what I'm saying. Like I just sit back, listen to what people are saying, and just go about it the proper way. That's all. <laughs> All right, uh, moving on. Uh, you're going to like this one, Martin. So Sam Neill begins filming his scenes for Jurassic World Dominion. In a recent Twitter post, actor Sam Neill, who portrays Dr. Alan Grant in previous Jurassic Park films, said he is expected to begin filming his scenes this week. The veteran actor said the filmmaking, hold on to your hats, getting my old one back on this week and facing off against dinosaurs once again. Best yet, excited and terrified, these things will kill you. I'm obviously a little more... Grizzled, grizzled now. now. Oh, I like that. Grizzled now. Yeah. Uh, and, now, and we're joined. <laughs> and we're joined. <laughs> we're joined by Dr. Uh, well, John Hammond. It's, just, it's John Hammond. Welcome to Jurassic Park. Um, but Jurassic World Dominion is still set to hit theaters next summer on June 11th, 2021. So yeah, very cool. Uh, yeah, what a fucking boss of a tweet, man. I know. And then seeing the pictures of like his, first, well, the, him sitting next to... Doctor. Well, he wasn't sitting next to her, but the chairs. Well, the chairs were. So he's sitting next Bro, to her. Bro, yeah, you you know you have to understand. There's a big difference if we actually see Dr. Alan Grant I and know. Dr. Sadler sitting there. Like, but is the mascot going to be it there? Implied. Is the pink shirt going to be there? Are the jeans, the boots, like what's going on? What are we going to get? But yes, just seeing the picture of the uh, of the fedora, which then he later which posted, was, and he was like, amazing. hello, old friend, was just like so exciting to see. Yeah. And uh, obviously, I've said it a million times before Jurassic Park. I love this franchise, even though I don't love all the films. I love this franchise. The first movie was so impactful uh, to me on a personal level. And um, just I'm excited to just see them all together again, whether it's stills, whether it's footage, whether it's a trailer or something. Chris Pratt pretty much said it's like the Avengers of, of the Jurassic of Park, the Jurassic franchise. Park yeah. franchise. And uh, 
And yeah, seeing them all together again uh, is going to be really exciting. And also, Contravara recently said how it's going to be more of like a global event. Yep. So who knows? And obviously, with the snow, with the pictures of like the snow setting, they're obviously going to be all over the place. Who knows as Which to I why? Think, I think we speculated that it was going to be like a globe-trotting adventure. Yeah, uh, as to why, who knows? <laughs> I mean, with the way the storytelling has been going, they have to go find an ancient talisman to take the dinosaurs back to the island or something. Yeah. I don't fucking know. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, I'm excited to to uh, for that. Uh, oh my god! Once we get that image of, and I love how he said I'm more grizzled now. I'm just picturing like Hunt for the Wilder People version of yes, uh, Sam with the beard Neal, and everything. With the beard, yeah, like grouchy, grumpy, cut the hat. Um, and yeah, I'm just excited for uh, for more stuff to come out for, from this because yeah. this is this is awesome. Cannot wait. Mm-hmm. All right, let's move on to some Disney Marvel news. So Pixar has uh, basically announced their new movie. It's called Luca, and it will be released in U.S. theaters next summer. <laughs> Hopefully, the, <laughs> the film is a passion project by writer director Enrico Casarosa. Oh, I think I got that right. I mean, it's in your blood, bro. You should be able to get it, right? Casa Rosa. Casa Rosa. <laughs> the film is a passion project by writer-director Enrico Casa Rosa. Uh, he did La Luna in 2011 and is being described as a coming-of-age adventure set in the Italian river- Riviera. Yeah. I mean, yeah. It looks... All I mean, it. we literally have no idea what this movie's about other than that very small... That one um, image. Plot, the one image, the yeah. title, and that very small plot detail mm-hmm. of what it's about. Um, yeah, you've seen La Luna, right? No, I haven't. You haven't seen it? No, oh, I have not seen God, it. Oh my God, bro. It's such a, ch- it's such a charming and like heartwarming, um, almost like father and son. I would kind of describe a father son. I believe it's his uncle. Who mm-hmm. They're not important. <laughs> but regardless, it's like, um, it's like a charming story. It's, uh, it's beautiful. And what, what excites me about this is like, even though we have little, like, like I said, like, little to no idea where it's going what's going on um the sort of art style that we got from the one image and also the um like a title almost had like a sort of chalk pastel brush yeah, yeah yeah type of like style to it and if you look at the image of them kind of jumping into the water um that, that's also got some like oil pastel some sort of like gouache uh kind of artistic style to it so very much like in Coco, which they pay like very homages to like the uh, the imagery of like Land of the Dead and all the colors and everything like that. I wonder if they're always. I wonder if they're going to do something like that here, where they kind of pay their respects and, and homage to like Leonardo or like Da Vinci, Michelangelo, like those pretty much world renowned, mm-hmm. arguably the most famous artists like ever of right. all time. And and obviously Pixar is no stranger to animation, so to see them possibly like I thought the animation for Coco was 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 beautiful i thought the animation for onward also amazing toy story 4 like that fucking attic scene with the spider webs yeah. and lighting, like crazy shit so to see them possibly push the uh maybe not i don't, don't want to say push the envelope or push the boundary but like maybe introduce a new style in mm-hmm. that sort of like pastel gouache oil paintings type of um like aesthetic so to speak right. that's what i'm excited for well that was what i wondered about the image when i saw it is i wondered if this was like an actual snapshot from the movie or if this was concept art you know because like it could be but that would be awesome if it if it does retain some of that style and then the other thing too was i wonder if this is going to be more of a period kind of piece or if it's going to be like uh like more modern day like modern day italy or are we going like kind of back you know that's interesting because i'm not sure how old the director is but he said that it's a very personal project and right. it's kind of um inspired so, i'm sorry so, so i was gonna say though so if that's the case i wonder if we're gonna go back to like his childhood when he grew up and, that's what he said yeah okay. he said it's so a, he maybe said the story's inspired from his childhood growing up on the italian riviera i believe it's centered around him and a friend of his which also is another thing while like just the description the picture the title like just so much feels because it also kind of gives 
obviously it might bring revert to like call me by your name like i got <laughs> lot, like don't it's not just you a lot of people were yeah saying that. i, I uh, just automatically kind of got just the uh coming of age story with a good friend italy like this is kind of what uh what my brain sort of like uh retracted to but uh but yeah that's actually a good point because if, if he is straight up modeling after a uh, personal story from his childhood depending on how old he is it'll probably give us a better idea of the time setting but um I have I have no doubt. I have a very I'm very confident about this movie for some reason. I feel like it's going to just be incredible. I mean, it's of, also it's just Pixar. It, that's what I'm saying, bro. It's know? just Pixar. But I feel like just the de- the small details we got plus the director and everything. Like I'm excited. I would say more times than not, when they focus on original stories, they usually do hit. You know, one of the outliers being uh, the Good Dinosaur. You know what uh, I mean? But but for the most part, when they do kind of focus on like uh, you know an original story by a director with a vision, usually turns out great. Yeah. So I expect nothing less from this one. Yeah, agree. So moving on to uh, Marvel Shang-Chi as it resumes filming. Uh, Marvel Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings is resuming production in Western Sydney, Australia. And recent set footage revealed a massive village set. The movie was announced last summer at San Diego Comic-Con and is said to be released next year in May of 2021. Uh, not much here. Just cool that it's resumed filming and it kind of goes along with the rest of uh, you know movies that are starting back up production from the coronavirus. So cool. Hopefully yeah. it's back on track and holds that uh, that release date. And I'm I'm like I'm actually really excited that it's more of like a practical setting rather because like we were talking about before more of movies nowadays are just so CG heavy. Yeah, like they're all shot in the studio with a few shit here and there to give actors references in the foreground and whatnot. But the fact that we have this, which kind of gives it a more practical element, and also like I don't know if you remember the other behind the scenes footage that they released a couple of months ago. When they're like in an alleyway or something, it's like a club. Mm, I didn't see that. But yeah, it's like that. It's like Aquafina and uh, Shang Chi's character. The the actor they're like um they're like in some like alleyway or some like street and I I'm like, can't, can't remember what country it is but that with this um <clears throat> excuse me that with this kind of gives it the idea that it's going more of like a practical route and for some reason I got like like old school Jackie Chan vibes oh nice you know like I'm thinking of maybe just like them jumping off the walls going off the roof like doing some like crazy stunts and well, shit like well, that I would hope that this does take in- inspiration from like kind of like those old school like Hong Kong like martial arts movies and yeah. things like that and it has some of that flavor added into yeah, it yeah like the uh, almost like I don't want to say silly but kind of like more lighthearted, fun action like some like that old school Jackie yeah. Chan like uh, set pieces I'm sure it will I mean yeah. Mar- Marvel Marvel can't can't you know I feel like they have it. They have it in them that they have to have a certain amount of jokes in a movie. So I wouldn't put it past them to have some. Uh... Yeah, but you know what I'm talking about, like the no, I know what you're like, about. You know, all that yeah. stuff. But uh, uh, actually, would you agree that probably Winter Soldier is the best stunt, uh, the MCU movie with the best stunts in terms of fighting from like a combat perspective? Uh, yes, by far, by yeah. far. Because I remember I was a little disappointed with the hand to hand in uh, Civil War. Not that I thought any of it was bad, but I just thought that like. I just thought the fights in Winter Soldier were just so much more visceral, and I thought they were shot a little bit better. I thought Civil War got way, way too into the, the whole shaky cam, born, born, you know, quick. identity kind of aspect. Yeah, just yeah. way too quick. Mm-hmm. Winter Soldier, they kind of pulled back. It was a little bit more wide, and you know, and you uh, just got you got like just those few more frames of movement. Yes, which rather which than cutting it off, it wasn't then, so much like yeah. in your face, you know, and it and like that's that's kind of why I gravitate towards like. Uh, the more John Wick style aspect where, you know, you're just in such a wide and you could see like, you know, the, everything happening and you're not like getting a headache from watching what's going on. Um, but yeah, so like I, I kind of hope that Shang-Chi does more of that in that, you know. I hope Shang-Chi is better. I do I hope too. when it's all said and done, I hope Shang-Chi, well, should, like it should be yeah, the best it has, MCU movie. It has, it has that, that, that bar set for it just mm-hmm. in terms of what it's dealing with. So right. hopefully that does, yeah, hopefully it does. 
And we're not talking like raid type of caliber action, just like right, right. <laughs> old school Jackie Chan would be, would be, even which is still a tough yeah feat to pull, but still, yeah. I mean, at this point, I feel like every action we should just hope to at least gun for the raid in terms of its high bar. <laughs> Please. <laughs> uh, we're going to stick with Marvel here because Captain Marvel 2 just got its director. Nia DaCosta, who is directing the uh, the highly anticipated reboot of Candyman, uh, signed on. I thought you were going to say, I thought you were gonna say the highly anticipated sequel of Captain Marvel. I was like, I mean, some people might be highly anticipated No, from coming from you, that just sounds weird. <laughs> so I was like, that threw me off for a second. Um, so yeah, so she is uh, taking over for the first movie's original directors. And uh, yeah, I mean, I wasn't that big a fan of the first Captain Marvel movie. I thought it was very bland and kind of boring. But, uh, you know, in terms of in terms of this, I mean, I think it's cool. Uh, I haven't none of us have seen Candyman yet, so we really don't know what Nia DaCosta kind of brings to the screen just in terms of like her directing skills. I mm-hmm. haven't seen anything else that she's done, but uh, I've loved all the material, the marketing material for Candyman so far. Yeah, the marketing has been really good. Marketing's been really good. Mm-hmm. So I am excited to see that. So hopefully she knocks it out of the park and it actually gets me excited for Captain Marvel, too. Yeah. And it's also I think it's also interesting how like how we have like how these sort of horror directors are jumping into superhero movies. Like, also Andy Muschietti jumping into, which we will get a little bit into. But, uh, right. but yeah, like you said, right now, uh, agreed. I I thought it was, I thought Captain Marvel was fine. Um, but, uh, but I'm excited that they're going in a new direction. Yes. Because I think they need to. Yeah. <laughs> no well, offense to the directors, but. No, and, yeah. and I, I hope with her, I hope they, I hope they let her, I hope they let her do her thing and what she wants, because obviously Marvel has a formula that they stick to. That they stick to it, and for better or worse, it's worked for them. Um, obviously, like it, it, sometimes it comes with mixed results. But you know, I, I think Captain Marvel is in need of of a specific vision, kind of what Patty did for Wonder Woman. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I think she needs that because Captain Marvel kind of is. It's almost like what DC has when I when I say in terms of like a Superman problem, not in terms of movies, but just in the fact that Superman is such an overpowered character that it makes him less interesting because mm-hmm. you can't relate to him on any level. And I feel like Captain Marvel is in that same boat because through her first movie and through Endgame, like even in Endgame, it felt like they were just hiding her for the very last second to bring her in just to fuck shit up. And when she does, it's like, well, does anyone else have to be here? Can she, yeah. might, she might as well just hand, just wrap all this up by herself. You know what Although I mean? Although Thanos so, did knock her out. So. Thanos did knock her out, yeah. But but yeah, so that's that's kind of my thing is I hope they just make, make her more interesting character because... Brie Larson gets all kind of hate, but I like Brie Larson as Captain Marvel. Like, I don't like she was fine in in the movie and same thing with Endgame. But that's just because I feel like just there's not a whole lot of direction for her as this character. But I like her in that role. So I really hope that that Nia can come in and uh, and do something with this. Me too. I'm excited to see what what, I'm excited to see Candyman. Let's say once we see it, then we'll get a better idea of what we're dealing with. Exactly. Mm -hmm. All right. So let's uh, let's move on to DC News now. And uh, since I mentioned patty jenkins we're going to talk about wonder woman 3 how she's basically saying this is going to be her last um well, most likely the, yeah so the third wonder woman would be her last one most likely which I, I kind of like i kind of figured that that was going to be the case you know what i mean like most directors usually go for a trilogy and then they're like all right let's move on to something else yeah i mean it was i read i read the the interview and it was like uh she was talking about how she was able to tell the origin story with the first movie and then she got the second one, so she was able to kind of go a little bit more into Diana's stories and, like, Diana's inner struggles of being, like, a goddess and also helping, helping humanity. Right. And then she also had, like, an idea for the third one, if it came about, so to speak. It, it doesn't sound like the third one set in stone. I could be wrong. 
Well, but, I mean, you know, with with DC and Warner Brothers, it's always a changing. Right, but I, just, I would just imagine, like, why don't you lock Patty down for two movies right I after would, the first I, one? I would assume she has to be under contract for a third. I don't know. One, I would it, think. Look, probably, but just from like that interview, just kind of sounded like it's, it's not really uh, sent on. But uh, if she gets a third one, look, uh, there's no doubt in my mind that I'm going to enjoy enjoy yes. at the very least enjoy wonder woman 1984 mm-hmm. um i like what she did with the first movie even though i had problems with the third act i overall enjoyed the movie i feel like i'm going to enjoy the second one as well and if she does get the third one what she should um you know then great i think we've all should trust her to deliver um a good movie yeah with like and close out to, and properly close out her trilogy and if it goes beyond that great if it doesn't good like thank you for giving us these movies and mm-hmm. uh and yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I fucking love Patty Jenkins. Yeah, yeah. like she's absolutely, she's a fucking stud. I love yeah. all her interviews and talks. That she is really fun to listen to. She is, dude. Yeah, she's, she's fucking, a like, lot of fun to listen she, to. She like you watch her talking. She just has your attention. Like she, whenever she's speaking, like you're just like locked on the screen. Which I think like um, which probably it makes her such a good director because I feel like probably on set she just has such a presence. Right. So that's probably like such a good trait to have. But like very similar to like we were talking about like Deborah Snyder of how she has like the sort of like swag and confidence about her. Yeah, she's also just very relaxed. Like yeah. in interviews when she's talking. That yeah, just, like she's just like, like nothing. She's like, this is me. Like right. I'm gonna just. So, <laughs> um, yeah, I love Patty Jenkins and uh, and excited to see Wonder Woman 1984. <laughs> I know. I mean, hopefully that October release date holds. Yeah. And and it also makes sense too that she would I mean, I would think that she would want to do a third movie because uh, you know, even though, you know, th- this this is an IP and this is a, a character that's been around for for a while, you know, with with Patty being the the first, you know, to really take a crack at like, you know, Wonder Woman's first movie, you know, you have to feel some sort of ownership over it. You know, some some sense of like, you know, this character's been with me for years, and I want and, like, and I want to properly close superhero, it out. Superhero, female. I, yeah. don't, I don't think there's been any other one. Um, well, not like Electro or anything like that, but um, yeah, in terms of like on on this scale and with this kind of budget and everything. Yeah, I mean, obviously, yeah. there's been like there's been uh, hero villains, whatever. Like there's been comic book characters led female movies. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, like just given this, what happened, what she did with it, how in it, terms of hype and everything, because hype, like you had yeah. you had like Electra, you had Catwoman, but like none of also them like being a female director, you know, exactly, like all that stuff, exactly, so. yeah. So, uh, so yeah, and uh, but she did say also in the interview that if she were to do a third one, she's going to take a little bit of break in between, which I think is smart. Yeah, and, let and, your brain and, reset and uh, then come back. Right, and I would also think too that because of the the way um, Warner Brothers slate is kind of like panning out for its DC movies, obviously we'll get a better idea from it after um, DC Fandom, but the uh, dome, the dome. But I think that there's going to be a lot of movies that are going to come before Wonder Woman three, so she'll just. I think there's already a break built in for her without mm. you know needing to take it. You know what I Good. mean? So, yeah. So we're gonna stick with uh, with DC. Uh, there was there was some flash news recently, right? Yeah, pretty much. He, I mean, just to quickly go and go over it because, like I said, we're a little, we're a couple of days at- detached because yeah. of the storm and shit. But a couple of days back, Andy Muschietti just pretty much talked about how uh, the movie is going to have that time traveling element of him going back to save his mother, essentially mm-hmm. just kind of like reinforcing the notion that like it's going to be pretty much Flashpoint. Oh, gotcha. Like, so to speak. Yeah. Well, did you also see that it was confirmed that there's no. Um, uh, there's no war in the movie, which is so fucking stupid. Yeah, but like if I mean I I, I get why I understand why because, I understand because, why too because, but... because Flashpoint is basically a Justice League story when you when you think about it and but Civil like, War is also like Avengers 2.0. Look, obviously it's all different, but had it 
had it properly been done, we could have gotten that Amazonian and Elaine Ward. We could have, but I think at the same point too is like Wonder Woman is a fucking bitch in Flashpoint. So there's no way you could have done it. There's no, no way she could, kills kids. That's, that's what I mean. Yeah. So there's no way you could do that. But the thing, the, the <laughs> fact that up to this point you hypothetically established every single character for Flashpoint oh, is no, just no, like it, it's no, kind of crazy. No, it absolutely could have worked. Yeah, it, it, really it definitely could have worked. worked. Yeah. Like you, you had to just, like it could have 100 percent worked, but. Um, Wait, who doesn't want to see an evil Wonder Woman? <laughs> I mean, I, I would be down for it, but you yeah. know, but you know how how people reacted to an evil Superman, so true, very true. Yeah. But yeah, um, I mean, it's just uh, <laughs> yeah, we'll get more news, and still, we still don't know what's going on with Ezra Miller, but we don't. I mean, I would assume that that we'll get a better sense after um, the dome, after the dome, mm-hmm. which is coming up very soon, and I cannot wait for it. All right, let's move to our main topics, and we're going to get to one that really struck a nerve with me, bro. Kindergarten cop is under attack. It's <laughs> under attack. Put the cookie down. Yeah, that's all the way. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> it's not the tumor. To all the people, yeah. To all the people complaining. Shut up. Shut up. Shut up. Shut up. So, oh man, this is gonna this is gonna upset me. This is gonna be hard getting through. But I'm gonna get I'm gonna get through for you guys. I'm gonna get through it. So. Um, in Portland, Oregon, there was a, uh, a cinema that was doing a summer drive-in movie series. Mm-hmm. And they were going to do a screening of Kindergarten Cop, <laughs> the Arnold Schwarzenegger comedy from 1990. And there was a little bit of an uproar by community and staff members that complained that the film is out of step with local and national concerns about over-policing. Whoa. The rescheduling comes after a tweet Saturday by Portland author. You know, I'm not even going to say her name. I'm not going to say her name. She's already created a platform for herself. And I'm pretty sure she's got harassed on Twitter. That's why she made her shit private. So... You don't want to give her that clout? I don't want to give her that clout. I'm just going to say this lady. (laughs) This lady, the local Karen, she wrote. Oh, boy. Uh, All right. So here's what she wrote. National reckoning on over-policing is a weird time to revive kindergarten cop. IRL, which I don't know. In real life. Who who writes this? Jesus Christ. What are you, like 12? We are trying to end uh, the school-to-prison pipeline. There's nothing entertaining about the presence of police in schools which feeds the school-to-prison pipeline in which African-American, Latinx, and other kids of color are criminalized rather than educated. Five- and six-year-olds are handcuffed and hauled off to jail routinely in this country, and the criminalization of children increases dramatically when cops are assigned to work in schools. It's true, Kindergarten Cop is only a movie. So is Birth of a Nation and Gone with the Wind, but we recognize films like this are not good family fun. They are relics of how pop culture feeds racist assumptions. Because despite what the movie shows, in reality, schools don't transform cops. Cops transform schools in an extremely detrimental way. Oh, my God. Dude. Can I say something? Go for it. You know me. I'm, uh, or at least you I'm all about, like, things happen for a reason. Mm-hmm. And this is 100% true what I'm about to tell you. And okay. Insane. Okay. When you texted me this, which was Wednesday, I, I was just double checking. I even said, I said, I said, Martin, you need to talk me off a ledge because I'm ready to go off. Right. As you texted me that, we, Josh and I were driving down to... Um, driving back home. Driving back home. We're not going to say where because yeah. it's a mystery. Well, because the power was out, so we had yeah, to leave so the studio. Yeah, so we had to leave um, the studio, exactly. And as we were leaving, we were watching the Wolf of Wall Street uh, rewatchables. Mm-hmm. We were listening to the Wolf oh, of Wall nice. Street rewatchables. And they made a really great point in that in the Wolf of Wall Street watchable of how there's a sort of certain anxiety or fear in regards to who is enjoying a movie. Like if Group X, I'm not, I'm not going to get too into this because I don't want to get all like this crazy, but if Group mm-hmm. X is, 
if you think group X for whatever reason is just um, someone you don't like or disagree with or have certain feelings towards, if they enjoy a movie, then is it okay for me to enjoy a movie? Like, do you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Like, as I, as they were talking about that, I thought it was interesting. And then, boom, you text me right away. And, like, things happen for a reason, bro. Right. And it's, oh, like, it's okay to enjoy a movie. I know. Like, stop worrying about what the message could possibly be or what it's going to possibly influence people to do. Like, I would feel that as a society, we have, like, enough of a conscience to realize what's right and wrong and just because something is, because uh, they also made a great reference to Joker. Yes. Of how people were trying to like bash Joker for whatever, uh, for some of the dark themes in that movie. Mm -hmm. I hope that we would just have enough of a conscience to understand like what's wrong, what's right, and just not let things like that influence us. Obviously, it's easier said than done, but yes. that's just kind of what I'm going to say about it. Well, my the one of the issues that I took from this was the fact that she's she's this local author right so she didn't like that they were showing this movie so she went on her soapbox on twitter and said all she had to say about it that didn't like it and then you know people got out their torches and pitchforks and gave her a bunch of clout and you know rah 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 we're gonna stop this movie you know and that's what happened and she, and she built her, her army she built her army and this theater buckled because they have no spine and <laughs> um you know that that's basically what happened and i i never would have thought i would have seen Kindergarten Cop, a family comedy from the 90s compared to Birth of a Nation, which is one of the most controversial movies ever made. Like, it is absolutely ridiculous that you're making this assumption and comparing it to these things. And, you know, I, I, th I think what, what I'll say, too, is the fact that, you know, I understand the point that she's trying to make with saying that it's only a movie and so is Birth of a Nation Gone with the Wind. But it doesn't mean that it should be censored. Like, I don't believe in censoring movies. And, and, and what's funny is, is I read more into this Birth of a Nation, which is about like the clan. Yeah. You know, Spike Lee teaches at NYU and he shows this movie because regardless of the fact that it's a hateful movie, you can't just censor things because they're not pretty. Like they have to be taught and, you know, and it's and that's what he does. He uses it as a way to teach people that, you know, this is this is this and, you know, this is why it's bad. And this is, you know, and he just, you know, goes into the history of it. You know what I mean? And you can't just you can't just do that. You can't just censor it away. And the, the fact that kindergarten cop, first of all, it makes no sense because he's not like he's an officer and assigned to a school. He's undercover going to a classroom. Yeah. Halfway through the movie, he beats up a fucking uh, a child abuser. Like it just it's it's I don't understand where this is coming from. And then and then and then I, I did what you cannot do. I did what you cannot do. I went onto Twitter and I just was reading other people's comments and just the other people that got behind her, you know, one person tried to claim the movie's transphobic because that one kid that has that line, boys have a penis, girls have a vagina. Boys have a penis, girls have a vagina. <laughs> Thanks for the tip. The kid from Pet Cemetery. Yeah, <laughs> because he says that line, all of a sudden now kindergarten cop is now transphobic and it's just, it's just ridiculous. And I, I can't. I can't do. I can't. And it's like usually I, I try not to subject myself to the ridiculous things people say on Twitter. But um, yeah, the only thing I'll say is that it's it's bullshit. I don't buy it. Leave Kindergarten Cop alone. Yeah, leave Arnie alone. Leave Arnie alone. <laughs> All right. Now that now that we're past that, we're gonna talk about things that we really like. And this news made me really happy. I saw this yesterday, and I got really fucking excited. So John Wick Five has been confirmed by Lionsgate. The sequel will be shot back to back with the fourth installment. 
while on an earnings call, Lionsgate C the Lionsgate CEO said, uh, we're busy prepping scripts for the next two installments of our John Wick action franchise, with John Wick 4 slated to hit theaters Memorial Day weekend of 2022. We hope to shoot both John Wick 4 and John Wick 5 back to back with Keanu Re when when Keanu Reeves becomes available early next year. Yes, yes, give me, as you say, the all the hot dogs in my face. John Wick all the John Wick hot dogs. Mm -hmm. Give them to me all. Um, I mean, fuck yeah. Give me as many John Wicks as we possibly get can, can get. Uh, I, you know, firmly believe that the John Wick trilogy that we currently have is one of the best action trilogies of all time, and uh, I'm really excited to see where they take it and just for more ridiculous action, whether it be with horses or books or pencils or or maybe this time falling off of higher buildings and surviving. Or higher buildings and surviving. Yeah. Give me all the craziness. Give me yeah. all the ridiculousness. Wandering in the, in the desert. Dogs, in a fucking Sue, uh, until someone, <laughs> until he's about to die, and someone magically sees him. Yes, sure. Yeah, I'll take it. Yep. Uh, why not? It works. Um, yeah, I love John. I love the John Wick films, um, and I just love how they sort of, how the the first one just kind of flew under the radar, and people kind of cut on later on, and then the second one, more and more, and yeah. like it just kind of, it just gradually sort of in terms of like a, a fan base and your audience, it just kind of like blew up and for a, a franchise to make more money as the movies have gone on mm -hmm. is yeah. also a nice feat too right so uh yeah i, I <laughs> well we'll see what craziness have in store for the uh for do we know who's directing it's, it's gonna be stahelski, stahelski yeah, so? he's, he's gonna he's gonna do both back uh, yeah back. so stahelski's a great action director um and yeah i'm excited to see what else they, what, what like, they have like, planned basically where they take it and and I, I kind of i kind of like that that they are shooting both back to back because it'll give uh you know i mean I, usually it works out when franchises do movies back to back it didn't work out too well for the matrix obviously which uh keanu was a part of and um but i just i, I kind of hope that that when they do this um i would like five to be the end uh, i don't want to see it go any further like i think you know um, I've kind of held my breath each time they've come out with a sequel. And I'm like, all right, is this going to be the one that jumps the shark? Is this going to be the one that jumps the shark? And luckily it hasn't. Um, you know, John Wick 3 had some of the best action in the franchise and it was a blast to watch. So, and and kind of where they're kind of moving this um, this story. Whereas uh, we can kind of expect like the, you know, chapter four to be kind of like a big war mm -hmm. between John Wick and the other uh, high table and him teaming up with Lawrence Fishburne. So I really hope that that they kind of come up with an awesome story to be played out over two movies and then just end it. Like, end it there, call it call it a day, put a cap on it. And right, and uh, another thing about shooting it back-to-back, -to -back too, is that all the movies have, uh, the sequels, have continued right where the previous one left off. Yes. So that also kind of gives it a little bit of more of like an organic, genuine feel that we're mm -hmm. literally continuing right where we left off from the fourth one. I do vaguely recall them saying that four was going to be somewhat of a time jump. Well, it would make sense. That's what I'm saying. It right. would make sense. And then possibly having the fifth one carry on right from the fourth one. Right, like exactly. Like traditional style like the other ones have. Right. So. You know, four will have a crazy cliffhanger and then it'll lead into five. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You th I think I'm back or whatever. Are you pissed, John? Yeah. <laughs> Cut to black. I love it. Oh, I can't wait. I cannot wait. So uh, let's let's move on to uh, to some other awesome news. Jason Bateman is in talks to direct Here Comes the Flood for Netflix. The film is being described as an elevated, character-driven love story heist movie. Oh, that's Ooh. a mouthful. Uh, with the heist playing out in increments, I guess, throughout the story. Though negotiations are still ongoing and Bateman may direct the film, or he may only direct the film, it is possible that he could also have a, uh, a part in the project as well. Simon Kingberg wrote the speculative script, and Netflix once again came out as the highest bidder for the project. 
yes. I mean, this this is uh, really awesome news, especially if you've been kind of following Jason Bateman's directing career. Uh, obviously, he did that one movie. Was it the the gift? With um, he was in it, but that was Joel Egerton. Oh, that was Joel Egerton who did he it, right? Oh, that's he wrote right. and directed right. it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so <laughs> forget that. But um, obviously Bateman has kind of created a career for himself. But on that was kind of like his. That was really the role that showed us like this guy can do serious acting. Yeah, pretty much. Yes, I would say so. I would agree. Um, obviously for uh, Ozark, which recently got nominated for I think eighteen Emmys, which is a boatload um, and it's won a bunch in the in it's won past. a bunch in the past including uh directing for bateman who directed mm-hmm. a couple episodes and then we just recently watched the outsider which he directed the first two which for me are arguably the best episodes in that series right um and he did just such such a fantastic job with that especially like in more of a horror aspect and like i just thought those like darker moody yeah Fincher and, aesthetic. and those yeah. those those first two episodes had had this just level of dread like yeah. you were just waiting for like the monster just to pop tension. out from behind the corner yeah just like eerie and yeah it's uh he does he did a really good job capturing all his different emotions and, yeah yeah, I'm, ex- I'm excited for this. Um, Sammy Kingber is a bit of a wild card. When he's on this game, he's on this game. When he's not... I would, I would think that... I mean, he... Uh, basically, what it's saying is that King, Kingsburg, or Kingberg yeah. um, did the uh, the spec script. So, I would assume that Bateman's going to come in and put his spin on it. Sure. Uh, I like... Yeah, like you said, uh, his the way he's kind of like evolved in, in his career in recent years has been really fun to see. And uh, I'm... I can almost already get like I, I I feel like it's going to have like a similar Ozark color palette like that sort of like cold uh, almost like outsider feel to yes, it. Yes, I got that same vibe too. Yeah, especially for like, a heist movie. Yeah, for like that. almost like because almost like Triple Frontier almost has that a little mm-hmm. bit too. Yep, and that's one of the better Netflix movies that have come out in the past couple of years. Um, so yeah, I'm excited to to. I always say that I'm excited to see more. <laughs> whatever, uh, I'm running on like three hours of sleep. I apologize. <laughs> But, uh, but yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll, um, I guess we'll, we'll report back on this, uh, once we get more information. Yeah. And, um, the way, the way things are going now, this, this obviously just got announced and it says he's still in talks. So maybe a deal hasn't been signed yet, but I don't think we're going to see this movie for a while. Agreed. At least two years. Agreed. So let's, uh, let's move on to, to more directing news, which this one is, uh, as equally exciting, if not more, Ben Affleck has found his next project to direct. He's going to direct an adaptation of the big goodbye for Paramount. It's a the bu- long Halloween. The oh, I wish that'd be so amazing. Um, this is a behind the scenes story of the making of Chinatown. Uh, the film is an adaptation of a book by Sam Wasson and it chronicles the, uh, as I said, the behind the scenes of Chinatown. Um, Affleck is going to write the script, and SNL's Lauren Michaels is also producing, which is interesting. I think he, oh, that is interesting. I think he bought the rights to it, and I think there was some kind of deal in place, and that's how Affleck jumped on. Um, the film is also going to delve into how Chinatown was coming at the tail end of a time in Hollywood where studios were very filmmaker friendly, where they kind of let studio or filmmakers do what they wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is kind of the tail end of that before studios became very corporate and more franchise focused. That we kind of know of today like last time he did some sort of behind the scenes with a studio-esque type of movie he won an oscar, he won an oscar. so <laughs> yeah uh we both love ben affleck we think he's great uh i wonder when um, i assume that production is not going to start anytime soon because he's going to be busy with the batman um but once once it uh once it eventually starts uh i'm ex- i'm looking forward to it yeah and this this also has the uh it's a very interesting story too. It's a very interesting story, yeah. and it also like it makes me curious because you're going to be dealing with, uh, you know, Jack Nicholson. Faith, I was about to say, do you, do you think, we're going, do you think like, we're going to have like de-aged uh, J- 
Jack Nicholson. No and you don't think so? No, I not, think so. I'm not going to bring Jack back into the age. No, no, no. I mean, like, have an actual actor and with, like, a oh, kind of like oh, what they did with oh, Red you, Skull. Oh, you think they're going to use technology to, yeah, like, like have a, redo the face? Or, like, Moff Tarkin, like what they did with Rogue One oh, when they brought in another actor who kind of had the same build, the same voice, and then they, they put the face on him. I wonder if they would do that. Yeah, because I don't know, like, who you could get to play. Like, who looks like Jack that could play him at that time? I don't know, but I still mm. think that... Um, Look, I really enjoy Doctor Sleep, but that notion of having these other actors come in as um, Shelley Long, uh, Shelley Duvall, I'm sorry, and uh, and and Jack Nicholson, just that I hated that part. I just think it should have been handled differently. But uh, that's yeah. neither here nor there. But I definitely well, no, um, no, because I I do agree with you on that aspect because it is it is off putting because like even though the Doctor Sleep adaptation is supposed to be more of an adaptation of the book side of it, not so much the movie side, it did bring in um stanley kubrick's the shining you know mm -hmm. so it did revert back to some of those things from the movie so when you saw that it wasn't jack that we know it is a bit off-putting and it is hard to 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 stay focused on that knowing because that it's not it had him. the build that's what i'm saying yes. if you put the face on him which i'm sure they could have obviously it's easier said than done because right. they, they might not have wanted to do it in terms of budget and things right like that. but i feel like if they had they put that the face on that actor for just maybe a few frames or a few seconds just to kind of Give us the feel that um that he that he's back would have I think would have been more right would have been a lot more impactful. The, the thing that I will argue though is that this is dealing with the real Nicholson, not not a character. Mm -hmm. So I feel like you can get somebody kind of what Once Upon a Time in Hollywood did. Like you just get the actor that played Roman Polanski and that to cut uh, to jump over here. You know what I mean? So I feel like you can get kind of get away with, you know, maybe getting some some top tier talent and just having them play these characters and not actually have to look like them, just have to kind of more embody, more them. embody them and emulate them. You know what I'm I mean? I'm calling it now though. I feel like they're definitely gonna I mean that'd be cool if they would I, I think they're gonna do it. I the only thing is you run it. you run the risk of uh the like the whole uncanny valley thing, which is where like you look at it and you know that's not really But the thing is it if it's a behind the scenes thing, I don't imagine them being like the focus well that's that's right like i don't know like how like yeah we don't know in terms of like what they're really gonna like lock in on and if it's focus. like almost like a like a uh more like the roots of argo where it's just kind of behind the scenes with the producers with the studio then maybe we can see them from afar yes kind of you know get the so yeah if they're not the main focus on it then i can definitely see it if they do pop up here and they're having like maybe the aging or something i don't know but uh but yeah, good for Batfleck. Uh, like I said, once he's done with the Batman, I'm excited to see what he'll do after that. And it's this, so that's kind of cool. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. All right, moving on to a little bit of controversy. Mulan is heading to Disney Plus on September 4th for $30. So Disney executives walk through the new plan for Mulan's release date during an earnings call. Uh, the $30 fee will be on top of the $6.99 subscriber fee for Disney Plus customers. The company told Insider that the $30 acts as a purchase. As long as people subscribe to Disney Plus, they'll, they'll be able to access the film, which, yeah, that makes sense. Um, but it's also available in theaters if you're... Yes, it, it, it will be available in theaters. Uh, however, we don't know what the conditions are of Although certain theaters I don't, and spaces. I don't, I don't know if they're actually putting it in theaters in America. America. I oh, know, you don't? I know, I know it's going... Oh, don't? I know it's definitely going overseas. I didn't... I, I mean, it, it might be. I, I didn't read into that if it's actually going to be shown here at all. I, I saw that Titan just secured their China. Um, yes, yeah, September 4th. Yep. September 4th. Yep. So. so they're they're full steam ahead, uh -huh. releasing in theaters no matter what. Right. Um, that's interesting if it's not available in theaters. Mm -hmm. hmm. I okay. don't know. I'm not sure. But 
I don't know. Uh, you I'm know, gonna. I mean, th- I know I'm is, gonna buy it. I, well, yeah. I mean, it's it's gonna That's happen. It's gonna happen. Be also because we have Disney Plus. So the so I do I do like the fact that when you buy it, it's not just a, a vi- like a like a, a rental, mm-hmm. which most of the movies that have come out during this whole quarantine period have been. Like you literally just get it for like two days and that's it, and you pay like twenty bucks. This is if you pay thirty, and, and it'll always be on your Disney Plus account. So. I do like that aspect of it. I think in terms of business, it's smart, especially since Mulan costs upwards of $200 million. So they have to try to make their money back in some way. But at the same, you know, on the flip side of that coin, this is uh, yet another blow for movie theaters who have been hurting for these past couple months. Um, <laughs> there was, there was, oh my God, dude. I, I, this 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 video of this guy just beating the shit. You, you saw it, right? Yeah, of you course. Yeah. Us, yeah. Um, so like... <laughs> This dude, and it was totally set up too. It was totally set up because yeah, he was waiting for them to hit record. No, not even that. Oh. Like, well, well, that, but just the fact that like he he beats the shit out of the stand, and then as he beats the shit out of it, it kind of makes way to the tenant poster in the background. Oh, oh, I, I didn't I, notice that. I was gonna say maybe I read into that too much, but this be saying you know, oh well, Mulan's not gonna be here, but at least tenant will be here. But you know what I mean, like wait, but is, is Mulan's being released overseas? Yeah, yes, but I think it's the fact that like this is being made worldwide you can you can buy it you can buy it for 30 dollars worldwide it's not just in america so everywhere if in people in france you know it doesn't matter like you mm-hmm. know as long as you have disney plus and disney plus is available in your country you can buy mulan and just think of how many disney plus accounts there are yes there's a lot yeah and how many more there's going to be because of this right you know and they were trying to say like they had these um some people were doing polls saying will you pay the 30 dollars for mulan and there was a majority that just said no that they will not spend 30 bucks for it uh, maybe that's because most of them don't. I mean, like I know if you don't have Disney Plus, uh, the thirty dollars is a rental, so it's not it's not to buy. You know, it's mm-hmm. only it only becomes available to buy if you have Disney Plus. So maybe people are coming at it from that aspect. You know, I think if you live in a home, at least with a family of four, like it kind of makes sense to do it, especially yeah. with a movie like that. You especially know I mean? with with how expensive movie tickets are nowadays. Like, think about it. You right. know, 30 bucks, that's probably less than two movie tickets, depending on where you are. Depending on where you are, mm-hmm. and then if you add in, like, concessions and things like that, so... Yeah, but not even that. Like, just talking about us here, going here, go see a movie in IMAX, that's 25 fucking dollars. Yeah, like, yeah. I mean, yeah. So, so we would have been paying close to that regardless. I mean, obviously, it's an IMAX experience, but... Right, uh, right. But, yeah, look... Uh, it's it's it, it's hard to get behind. It's it's hard it's hard for me to say. Yeah, this is a great decision because now I get it's to watch it when I want. Decision. It's that's a, what it's it, a business that's decision. That's what it is. But for terms, the studio, not for theaters. Right, right, yes. exactly. For studios, a great for Disney's. It's a great move on their part because they're obviously all those accounts. A lot of people, I'm sure, I'm going to buy it. But yeah, just just keeps the wheels turning. You know, and I, I saw that guy who was beating the shit out of the Mulan standy getting crushed on Twitter. You know, I I I think you know I'll. I'm going to look at it from his perspective, right? You know, we've been going through this for how long? And a lot of these people are losing out on, you know, their businesses. They're losing out on money. You know, their employees are hurting. You know, hopefully this is a guy that cares about his employees. You know, I know some people don't, but but the point is, is that like, you know, this is a guy who's just absolutely frustrated. He's just extremely frustrated with what's going on. And this is yet another blow to his business. He's losing out on a lot of money because this would have been a, not one of the big movies. And that's how it was supposed to go. It's supposed to be Tenet and Mulan were the first big movies that you can go see when theaters reopen. Now this is taken away and it's one less movie to bring people back to theaters. So I totally get his frustration. Is it over the top? Is it theatrical? Absolutely. Is it hilarious? Yes, it was very hilarious. He almost tripped over it as he was beating the shit out of it. But I, I'm i with you, dude. I, I get your pain. I feel your pain. I feel your pain. Yeah. That's all. I, I got nothing. 
Um, the other thing too was, uh, uh, I just want to mention real quickly, there's um, a number of other movies were, were kind of announced that they're also going to video on demand. Uh, the Woman in the Window with Amy Adams, which hasn't been announced uh, when they're actually doing it. I think it's like still to be determined. I, I think Netflix is like closing in on a deal yeah, too. Yeah, they haven't closed it. a deal yet, but I think I don't think close. so either. But yeah. yeah, it's almost like almost they just they're just waiting for people to sign on the dotted line, pretty much. Right, and then um, Antebellum, 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 which is getting a release date of September eighteenth, I believe. Which I'm excited for. I'm excited for that too. Yeah, the the trailer was very interesting. It had some like Shutter Island, Twilight Zone mystery vibes to it. So uh, so I'm excited for that movie. And in terms of uh, Lady in the Window. Um, woman in the window. Woman in the window. I'm sorry. We've heard some of the on. There's, there's been a lot some of, the production of shit, trouble, yeah. but uh, but I like Joe Wright for the most part. I think he he makes good movies. And he's, um, um, I was gonna say he's he's kind of hit or miss a little bit. He is Joe Wright. Yeah. He is. I he. I mean, he did. I think before Darkest Hour, he did Pan. He did Pan. So you, think, you jump from Pan, which was terrible, uh-huh. then, then to Darkest Hour, which won, a, which won Gary Oldman his Oscar and got nominated for a ton more. Right. But when we think of Pride and Prejudice and Anna. I always Anna Corinne. How do you say that? Corinna? Anna. Oh, Anna Anna uh, Anna Karina. Anna Karina. I think. Is that how? how Maybe. Uh, how, I, don't I don't know. Did but, he also uh, do Hannah? The with Eric Bana, and um, I'm not I forget, sure. I forget her name because now now it's a TV show on Hulu. It's where she's like Eric some, Bana's in that. Oh, you mean with uh with Mara with Kate Mara? It was it's um and Rose Leslie. I don't think Eric Bana's in that. No, I, mean, I think we're on we're on different wavelengths here. Okay. Yep. Anna or yep. Hannah? Hannah. Hannah came out in 2011. It's now a TV show on Hulu. Oh, oh wait, I'm thinking of Morgan. <laughs> oh, you're thinking of Morgan. I'm thinking of Morgan, yeah, right, yeah. with uh, Alan Taylor-Joy. Yeah, and, and, then, yeah. and Hannah, uh, Sor- Sor- Ronan played Hannah in the movie. Yes. Yeah, and that was Joe Wright, which I know was very well received, and mm. now it's a TV show, obviously, but yeah. Yeah, uh, but yeah, uh, that the tra- I like the trailer for that movie, so I'm excited to uh, see it whenever it does drop. And uh, yeah, I'm excited for that. I'm excited for Antebellum. And uh, yeah, I'm also excited for Mulan. <laughs> Even yeah. though I much would have rather preferred to see it in theaters. I would have much rather preferred to see all these in theaters. I know. But, you know, it is what it is. At this point. Mm-hmm. Uh, moving on to our last topic of the day, uh, Denis Villeneuve appeared at the 23rd Shanghai International Film Festival and discussed a ton of stuff on his upcoming remake of Dune. Uh, he talked about the film's cast, shooting, and editing, um, and some of the biggest updates that he provided was an insight into the current status of the film. Uh, you know, because of the ongoing pandemic that's happening, um, he kind of delved into the difficulty and disappointment of being so far away from his editor. And um, you know, as a director, and your film of this scale is being put together, the fact that you can't be there in the post-production room is—it's—it's is, is, <laughs> it's tough, man. Um, he also discussed the uh, the upcoming reshoots and described how it's going to be a sprint to f- a sprint to finish the film, which we kind of uh, expected. But it is still interesting that Dune is holding—it's um, holding on to its current release date of December eighteenth, which I am still shocked by. Like, I'm I'm surprised that they haven't decided to push it yet, especially. At least for him too, like just to give him a little peace of well, mind. Well, that's that's what I mean. They give him peace of mind, and like this is such a huge movie, and I'm sure it costs a boatload of money. So I'm surprised that Warner Brothers is kind of sticking to their guns of releasing around Christmas time. Yeah. Obviously, they could push it whenever the fuck they want. They could wait till Thanksgiving and push it if they wanted to. You know what I mean? So, Other than that, he also talked how much he loves uh, Christopher Nolan and how much he loves Jason Momoa. Yeah. So, <laughs> amongst other that ones. was that was the coolest part was what? was him talking about the cast and like how he basically that was got, my favorite. got to work with all the people that whole, were his whole first thing choice. I know, the I whole fucking, thing was cool. I fucking loved Daniel. Yeah, and, and, yeah. That talking about how it was um 
also kind of us diving into the fact that it's almost been a passion project of his for a long time. Like forever. forever. I love how was it when was it in Cindy's when he was like when we were on Jordan. Uh, yes. And he's like, uh, this would be great for Dune, but not for this project. Not but, for this but project. Not for yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, and then he eventually went to do do went to do Dune, and then when they asked him, I believe they asked him like, what movie made you become a director? And he talked about like how he would always like have these movies going on in his head, and then how him and his one friend when they were like thirteen or whatever were like were like storyboarding Dune mm-hmm. when the movie fir- when the book first came out they were drawing like the worms and all that yep. shit. So the fact that he's um, kind of held how, how he's kind of loved this property for so long just makes me that much more excited knowing how how personal it is to him because Blade Runner twenty forty nine he like he said he said it before how personal that movie was to him. And uh, and just talking, just hearing him talk about the cast, uh, dude, this fucking cast, man. Oh, I just like, I like, cannot as, get over as it. he was going through it, it was like I was like it was a like, heavy oh hitter after heavy hitter after heavy hitter, and it also kind of confirmed um, Batista. Batista's in the movie, yeah. which which I feel like I thought I knew, and then when you when you were which like, I completely had no idea. But you were like, you're like, did you know he was in it? And I was like, oh, I, th- I feel like I thought I knew that he was, but. I wasn't sure, you know. What yeah, I, mean? I was like, when, and because he mentioned David Dismalchian from yep. working with Blade Twenty, and I love how he said that he, how um, how he just wants him to be in all his movies. Yes, which I feel like David Dismalchian is just that type of actor who just kind of he he's good in like these small roles. Like you can literally put him in a small role in every single movie, and it'll probably work. And it seems like that that most of the movies that he's been in, people love working with him. Like yeah, you know, like and and you know, uh, obviously he was. You know, in the two Amen movies, and then James Gunn seemed like he really wanted to work with him, so he brought him over to Suicide Squad. So he just seems like and he just in, has in, that. In the Happy Birthday tribute. I don't know if you know. He had like yeah, all the polka, polka dots, dots, which is cool. Was, like, that, that just was, confirmed polka that, dot man. So that's always awesome. fun to see. But uh, yeah, back to the uh, the Dune topic. Uh, look, I've said it since day fucking one. I am so excited for this movie, but I am worried because obviously Blade Runner twenty forty nine, as amazing as it was, it wasn't financially received well, and I want this movie to. Be incredible and i want this movie to make a bunch of money and i want this movie to get a thousand and five percent on tomatoes like i just want it to be good yeah uh so i just i i just hope that he's able to i hope that he has the time to really make the movie that he wants to make um and you know the fact that he's it's like it's gonna be a sprint to the finish yeah makes it, it's a little like it's a little nerve-wracking yeah but yeah. at the same time like um i just gotta trust that uh that he'll that he'll be able to pull through, and if he does for some reason need more time, hoping the studio will give it to him. I hope so. I hope so know. too. Uh, the thing that I'll say about you being worried about the movie's performance. Now, granted, the chips need to fall like perfectly in order for this to happen, but the movie has the kind of um, luck of being one of the first big movies that's going to be in theaters. That's like with people going back to theaters because I because I feel like Hopefully. that I feel like that that once things are safe. And we're able to go back to theaters without, you know, being worried whether or not we're going to get sick. Some of these bigger tentpole movies are going to pull a lot of people in that they're going to want to go see. And I feel like by the time Dune comes out, it's in it's in a position, especially coming if it does come out on Christmas and it's able to come out on Christmas without any problems. It, it it's in that spot where I feel like a lot of people, even even if even if they weren't interested in it, I feel like they're going to give it a shot because it's 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 Christmas time. People are off and they're going to want they just want they're going to want to do stuff, you mm-hmm. know. Especially after you know dealing with all this stuff, and if if we're safe by then and we're able to go out and kind of live our lives normally, do hood rat shit with our friends. Yeah, exactly. I just want to do hood rat stuff with my hood rat friends. Um, this has this is in a good position to make a boatload of cash. So hopefully things do work out. The chips do fall where they're supposed to fall, and this hits really big. I hope so, man. Because uh, 
we may have said it once or twice. We cannot wait for this movie. Yeah. I'm like pumped. And we get a trailer, I think, in like two weeks or next week, maybe. Is it next week? It comes out the week of... With, in- with Inception? Uh, I, I I hear conflicting things. I hear I heard that both Wonder Woman and Doom were supposed to have trailers attached to the Inception re-release, but then I heard that they were holding them for they were holding Wonder Woman for DC fandom, and Doom and Doom is just going to come out. It's going to be released online um, that same week that is uh, DC fandom. Like, so like, like two like weeks earlier. So like yeah, about two weeks. So we'll finally get our first look at it. I'm sure it's going to be epic. And we're gonna be right Which here. Is, it's strange that we. I mean, obviously, there's a whole bunch of shit going on, but you would you would imagine that we probably would have gotten something by now, being like six months out. I feel like we would probably would have gotten like at least a teaser. But oh, we definitely. If, I mean, yeah. if, if if things played out the way they were supposed to, we would have gotten a teaser, probably or at least a, maybe a full blown trailer with with Tenant when Tenant was supposed to come out in July. Yeah, you know what I mean. We probably would have gotten all kinds of stuff for it. Agreed. So hopefully, uh, hopefully it all works out. Mm-hmm. All right, that does it for us, Nerds Nation. Thank you guys for watching. Thank you for listening. Remember to like this video and subscribe to our YouTube page. And remember, you can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and anywhere else where you can see that big, beautiful FN logo. Martin, this one. that one right there. Brand new stickers. Who wants one? Who wants one? Somebody <laughs> wants one. <laughs> it's a fight to the death. It's a fight. Um, so, yeah, with that, uh, thank you guys for watching. Thank you for listening. We'll see you on the next one. Peace.